the time nor the space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the Raggedy Matt. Hello there. Couldn't resist that one. Raggedy? Raggedy, yeah. I mean, it's appropriate, isn't it? I'll take it. (laughs) Oh, it's a momentous one today, isn't it? Mm. Dawn of a new era. It really is. So, not only do we have a new Doctor, we've got a new showrunner, new producers... I believe the director might be... I can't remember who directed this episode. Uh, uh, so, I remember when when I first sat down to watch The Eleventh Hour. Um, the feeling of apprehension, first of all, mm-hmm. going from Tennant to this unknown new Doctor. This uh, uh, And uh, you, the, all of this would have passed you by, but like nearly a whole year before his first episode there was an episode of the uh, behind the scenes series Doctor Who Confidential which included like the first exclusive interview with Matt Smith like after he'd been cast but before any scripts had even been written Mm -hmm. Um, and he comes across as this jittery young thing he has a sort of emo-ish hairdo and and I along with a lot of other fans at the time were like oh god emo doctor no this is going to be awful and I think it took two minutes, maybe three, for the, all of that tension and worry to just immediately melt away. See, I would, I would pick on another word that you used to describe it, rather yeah. than emo. Yeah. I, I'd stick with young. There's like yeah. a youthful exuberance. Oh, really? to the, I would yeah. say to the show as a whole. Yeah. Like, but embodied by Smith's performance, he's like a Labrador puppy in this episode, I, isn't he? I, whenever I was watching this, I just thought this would be like the opening episode of any show on CBBC. <laughs> you know, if we were watching like Aquila or yeah. something like that. I know we always talk about Aquila. Well, and rightly but so. It, the tone is so different. Yeah. Even though it's still pretty much the same show it's definitely Doctor there's Who. something changed and I think it is that youthful approach yeah it doesn't take itself too seriously no, anymore there is, there is, there is so, the, the dialogue in this episode there are so many witty moments and, mm. and, and quotable lines and, and I, I would say there's only one bit where I think it goes a little bit too far in terms of childishness. Maybe. We'll get there when we get there, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Um, but overall, then, if you were to rate this on your usual scale... Yeah, I like this episode. I didn't think it was... It? I didn't think it was terrible. I, I, I wouldn't... It's definitely a good start. Mm. I wouldn't say it's going to win any awards with me you know (laughs) but it's it's fine it's fine it was watchable I I wasn't bored which is always a good sign absolutely I I, I mean for my money I think if we weren't doing this podcast and you came to me and said David I want to start watching Doctor Who where should I begin I'd probably point you to this episode over uh, Rose and Chris Reppleston's first series Mm. Um, purely because it does feel that little bit more modern and uh, I think it is a really strong opener. And I, I, that's not to say it's without, not without its flaws. It definitely has some. Uh, I think, uh, as we'll probably discuss in more detail as we go along, I think the villain's pretty weak yep, in this episode. Yep. I, that um, would be probably my main downfall. Yeah. But, but to be fair, a first Doctor's story 
it's rare that the villain isn't weak because mm. there's so much heavy lifting to do, especially when who, you start. Who have we seen so far? The first one's the Nestine the, consciousness. Yes, and the Autons. With Eccleston. Yeah. Is it the Sycorax? The Sycorax with Tenant, and to be fair, it was just Tenant they were having to introduce that. And I do think the Sycorax are decent, mm. but they're fairly simple, aren't they? They're, yeah. not, they're not a complicated villain. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, oh gosh, and that's it. That's mm. all you've uh, you've seen in terms of uh, first enemies. So uh, yeah, Prisoner Zero, I would say, is about on the same level. Yeah, give or yeah. take. Um, it's probably my main criticism. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, but everything else for me is to such a high standard, and the the, the way this episode just sweeps you along. I I would I say, find in it fact, very hard to care. The villain is one of three criticisms. Okay. Well, I'm very keen to uh, find out what the other two are, but um, I think that's enough preamble, isn't it? Should we just get stuck in? Yep. So, The 11th Hour, Season 5, Episode 1. Yeah. 3rd of April, 2010. Yeah. It seems a long time ago. I mean, it is, isn't it? But it also feels like we've been doing this podcast for 10 years, so... Can't believe we've still got so much left to go. <laughs> not even halfway. We're not. No. I mean, I don't know because I haven't because not all episodes, or not all series, have quite the same number of episodes. So I'm trying to figure out because there are some shorter ones coming up. So it doesn't matter because about by, halfway. By the time Probably we're halfway, yeah. they'll have dumped another series. That's true. And yeah. we'll never catch up. <laughs> oh, we will. We will. Um, anyway, what, what are we going to do when we catch up? Just call it a day. Part as friends. <laughs> I mean, well, hopefully, friends. Who knows? By the time we we are caught up, where where we'll be? But um, mm. I don't know. I'd like to do some more classics here and there. Well, I want to talk about one aspect of classic Who, and I'm going yeah. to save it till after we've reviewed this episode. Okay. Because I, I texted you last night and said yeah. I found my new all-time favourite <laughs> Doctor Who. Yes, you did. It's yeah. better than Canine and Company. Yeah. So we're going to discuss that towards the end. Well, yeah, we'll tackle that after this. Okay. So we begin with the TARDIS hurtling through space. I can't remember. Is that how we left things yep, last that's time? Yeah, it really p- picks up the exact moment after uh, the end of time. Uh, yeah, because the, the the TARDIS was going haywire. Mm-hmm. He was, yeah, hurtling about. And I think, yeah, he'd just fallen out. Yeah, so he's TARDIS. hanging on. He's yeah. spinning around London. Yeah. Nearly gets his balls hit on Big Ben. Yeah. And then climbs back in. Yeah. And then... This wasn't one of the three things I wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. but it's not really a criticism. But I don't like the new title song. Do you not? No. It's not well, as good. I mean, same arranger. I mean, new arrangement, though. Like, how are you finding it? Is it just a bit too busy? Or... No, I just miss... I, I miss that, like... Dum, da, 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 dum, da, 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 yeah, it's a bit lost in it. Yeah, it? it just opens with, like... Flying through space and time. Yeah, I don't. Like, I don't like the graphics that much either. That go with it. Like I think the new logo is pretty solid. Is that I, the DW TARDIS? Yeah, yeah, in the shape of the TARDIS. That's pretty fun. Something yeah. a bit different. Um, I think. Well, it's certainly an improvement on the tenant era, the RTD era uh, logo, which was just the words Doctor Who in like a red box. It was on like a sort of like a surfboard shape yeah. thing, kind of. It's it's awful. I hate that logo. Right. Um, but yeah, but the whole the, the like whooshy clouds and the lightning bolts and it's not my favourite visualisation yeah. of of the uh, the time vortex. No, uh, 
Not as good as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we cut then to a little girl praying yeah. to Santa Claus. Yeah. Uh, who says there's a crack in a wall with voices. Mm. So she can hear a voice. We see this crack. It runs the length of the room. Yeah. I don't think we hear the voice at this point. No, I don't think so. But what we do hear is the sound of the TARDIS outside. Yeah. Which has crash landed in the garden, destroyed the shed. Yeah. And the Doctor climbs out. Yes, and so it's 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 landed on its side. Yeah. And I quite enjoy the sort of playing with physics that we get with that. With so, in order for him to climb out, he has to use a grappling hook. Yeah. And it appears that he's climbing out with a <laughs> two foot deep box with yeah. a grappling hook. Yeah. So yeah, that again, that's straight away that like playfulness is there straight away. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and he's stra- soaking wet. Straight away, he yeah. asks for an apple. Yes. And it was tea last time, wasn't it, that cured him? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, is that consistent? Whenever there's a regenesis, he needs food, and he's all he's usually a bit off kilter in some mm. way or other. It usually takes him an episode to recover, and so that's it's one of the kind of weird things about Doctor Who that often it's why a, a Doctor's first story is often not necessary a great starting point because you're not seeing the character behaving quite as they're going to be for the rest of the series because mm. they, they are that little bit more manic and, and, and wobbly. Is it fair to say in this episode for the first half, two thirds Matt Smith is playing like the tenant doctor and it's only at the end where you sort of get who the new doctor is going to be Yeah, I mean I th- he's figuring himself out, he's mm. I mean, for a start, you're seeing him running around in a torn-up version of Tennant's costume. Yeah, minus yeah. the jacket, but, you know, he's dressed as, as the Tenth Doctor. Yeah, I, I don't know how much, consciously, he's trying to ape Tennant in particular, or the, just the fact that he's, just, he's generally a the, bit all over. There's a lot more overlap here than there is between Tennant and Eccleston. Oh, definitely. And admittedly, when Tennant started, he was in a coma for the yeah. first episode. Yes, so. I think this is... I would say this is one of the biggest improvements on the, with this episode versus uh, the Christmas Invasion in that we actually get the Doctor all the way through. Yeah, definitely. Rather than just the last 20 minutes. So, through conversation with the little girl, the Doctor realises there's a crack in the wall. He wants yeah. to go check it out. Yeah. And I've just put... Where where are this girl's parents whilst he's just running around the house shouting? Well, that does get addressed. Yeah. I mean, later on she l- explains she lives with her aunt. Yes. Who isn't home. Yeah. So, that's neglect. It kind of is, yeah. yeah. And she's just letting a strange man into the house. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, this is front page of the sun. Is <laughs> it, it should be, yeah. Right. Um, so, he goes to check the crack in the wall... Well, before we, can we, we we can't gloss over the kitchen scene. Well, that yeah. that's what I was leading up to. Yeah. That's the next part, and yeah. that's one of my criticisms of this episode. Okay, you're giving me the look that says you love this bit. I really, really like this scene. I would say it maybe goes on a touch too long. Yeah. So he he asks for an apple. Yeah. He says, "I need apples. I love apples. I've got yeah. a craving." Yeah. Eats the apple, says, oh no, I hate it. I meant yeah. yoghurt. Yeah. Then he eats a yoghurt, yeah. spits it out. Yeah. Then Which, to be fair, I love the, the line where he says, yoghurt, it's just stuff with bits in. Yeah. <laughs> then, at this point, does he eat bacon? He tries bacon. Then he, beans. Yeah. 
well, he tells he he's he, he blames um, the girl and says, "Look, it's your fault. You're Scottish. Uh, fry me something. Make me some proper food." So, um, yeah, we yeah we cycle through bacon, beans, bread and butter, which he's so offended by that he flings the plate out of the the house. Yeah. Um, and eventually settles on fish fingers and custard. Yeah. And I just thought, it's a bit of a swing and a miss, that, isn't it? You didn't enjoy that scene, is no, it? No. I, I just thought, like you said, I think it went on too long. Yeah. And then, you know, if we get a reoccurring joke this series that he really likes fish fingers with custard, I, that isn't going to hit home with me mm. at all. I don't want to say that. Okay. Um, I do, but I do like when it's it that scene settles down, and so we get the final moment where he's finally he's found the thing that he's happy with. So he's sat with a mixing bowl full of custard, casually dipping fish fingers into it. Uh, sat opposite him, the little girl with a tub of ice cream, eating the ice cream with the like straight from the scoop. Yeah. Um, and I just. It's those little touches like that that I think really elevate this episode. And you really feel like, oh, this is a girl who is like up too late. There's no proper adults ke- keeping an eye on her, and she's like having this ridiculous magical adventure with this strange man. Mm. Um, and the doctor makes the the point. He's when he, through this conversation whilst he's eating his fish fingers and custard. That she, that, that he observes that this girl is just not worried about the fact that a strange man has crashed in her garden, uh, walked in, eaten fish fingers and custard in front of her, and none of that's phased her. And concludes, if that's the case, must be a hell of a scary crack in your wall. Mm. And I love how that just brings us back into the story. Yeah. So we get the revelation that the little girl's called Amelia, Amelia Pond. Yep. And as you say, they go to check out the crack again. Yeah. And the doctor uses the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. And it's... it seems to be on the fritz a bit. Yeah. But the crack. Yeah. Is a crack in the world, a crack in space time. Yeah. How do you like that as a concept? Uh, just thought it's the same as the rift, isn't it? We've been here before. Yeah, kind of. You know, it just means bad juju, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. You know, you're not going to get a crack and it's going to be a really good sign. <laughs> yeah, no. It's it's certainly a portent of ill. So, we get a voice coming through at first. The Doctor yeah. can't really see... See? Can't hear yeah. what it says. And Amelia tells him, it says, Prisoner Zero has escaped. She's obviously yeah. heard this a lot. Yeah, and well, he, uh, the Doctor as well hears it for himself. He does the old uh, glass to the wall mm-hmm. trick. So yeah. there's a prison yeah. the other side of the wall. Yeah. The Doctor opens the crack and we see a giant eye. Yeah. Big old eye. What's their race call? Is it the Antraxi? The Atraxi. That's yes. it. And it shoots the Doctor. At first I was like, is that the bad guy? Because it shoots him and it seems yeah. to hit him in the balls. <laughs> it does look a bit like that, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah. But it's actually shot him a message to yeah. the psychic paper. Yeah. Which says Prisoner Zero's escaped. Yeah. Now the reason the doctor says that's relevant is because it must have escaped through the crack. Yeah. So it's on Earth. Yes. So we have a fugitive. And 
at this point, the TARDIS starts to make, I've written in my notes, just a mad noise. It's not its usual it's, whirring. It's like a distorted version of that. It's, uh, yeah, and I believe it, uh, you hear the cloister bell. Okay. Which is a big bonging sound. Um, you may have heard it if you've ever phoned me on my mobile. Okay. <laughs> it's my ringtone. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, consistent with, with Classic Who. Like, it's basically um, the TARDIS's equivalent of a red alert. Noise, it's yeah, right when it's feeling peaky, it might have a bit of a bong. So, the doctor says, I need to go fix this, I'll be back in five minutes. Yeah, we're gonna solve this mystery. Yeah, so he jumps in the TARDIS, disappears, and Amelia rushes off to pack a suitcase and she begins to wait for the doctor. So, she puts the suitcase in the garden, sits on it, yeah, waiting for him to return. It's pretty adorable. Yeah, yeah, and like I know I've I've already said this is like children's television. Yeah, it's a little bit like something like the Snowman, in that it's just a child on an adventure with yeah. almost an imaginary friend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we might return to that. I think there's there's a nice warmth to this episode. Oh, isn't definitely. It? Yeah. Yeah. So. We cut to the clock in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. It moves on to the next morning. Yeah. The Doctor reappears and he's been to the moon and back just yeah. to check the TARDIS is working. Yeah. Opens the door and can't really see what's going on. But he knows Prisoner Zero is around. Yeah. He's, he can detect yeah. that. He can sense that. He's on high alert. So he goes to check the house. The door's locked, which makes sense. We just assume Amelia's gone back in. Yeah. Uh, But when he enters, he's hitting the face with a cricket bat. Yeah. Yeah. And And from here, we jump to the hospital. Oh, yes, yeah. Okay. So we have a nurse who says all the coma patients have called out. He's gathered a doctor who seems to be in charge of this ward and says that all... The patients have called for her. Yeah, they're all asking for her. But actually, they're all just chanting, Doctor. Doctor. Okay? And in my notes, I've just put, is is one of these patients Olivia Coleman? Yeah. It turns out it is. Because I I was trying to work this out. I was like, what what would she have been doing at this point? And Peep Show would have started. Peep Show was pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was not a... She was a known actress at that point. Yeah, she was no way... In the same level she is these days. Oh, but she was she was like a sort a well known face on British TV, and uh, Stephen Moffat has later gone on record as saying one of his biggest regrets of his whole era is wasting his opportunity to have Olivia Colman in the show with what is essentially a a very small part. Yeah, and, right. and she doesn't really get to do much. Um, apparently. You know, she had expressed an interest in like being a baddie in Doctor Who. So basically, the first opportunity he got, he, he got her into it. But then you think, I think ahead to some of the, some of the stuff that comes later in Moffat's era, and I think, oh, Olivia Coleman would have been so good in that. Oh, really? And, and it's it's a bit of a shame that, yeah. that he did sort of. Uh, ah, they could have just put her chance. in. They do that with everyone else. That's true. That's true. And speaking of which, when we cut back to the Doctor. Karen Gillan's just there. Yeah. We've seen her before. You know, she's some weird priestess from the past. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so did you know going into this episode that this was the series where we get Karen Gillan as a uh, regular companion? Yes and no. Yeah. So I knew that Matt Smith has two companions. Yeah. And I knew she was one of them. I didn't know whether she was the first or the second. Right. But from playing the Nintendo DS game, Invasion Earth, uh-huh. I knew that her character was called Amy Pond. All ah, right. So, so the I was moment... piecing things together. Yeah, so, so you kind of knew before the actual reveal, when he met the girl called Amelia Pond, that that must be... Well, again, with them yeah. having slightly different names, I thought there was a link. I didn't yeah, necessarily you sure. right. it was the same person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's Karen Gillan, and she's dressed as a police officer. Yeah. Who has arrested the doctor for breaking and entering. Uh-huh. She's got her police radio. She's contacting backup. Says, got this gentleman. Mm-hmm. The doctor says, you know, I'm looking for Amelia Pond. And this police officer responds that she hasn't lived there for six months. Mm. So, again, we get a bit of frustration from the doctor. Because in his mind, he's been five minutes. Yeah. At most, a few hours. Because he knows it's the next morning. Yeah. So, in his mind, it's now six months. Yes. And he can't quite (laughs) compute that. Yeah. So, back in the hospital, the doctor there asks this nurse, who we now find out is called Rory, why he's so obsessed with these coma patients. Mm -hmm. And he says, it's because I've seen them walking round the village. Which gives a little tease about where we might be going with this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This time, back with the doctor, we find out that this policewoman now lives in the house Mm -hmm. that Amelia Pond used to. And the doctor reveals to her that there is a perception filter. So he says, if you've lived here for six months, how many rooms are on this floor? She says, five. He says, well, count them. She goes, one, two, three, four, five. He says, well... What about that one? So in the corner of her eye, there's like an unseen room, a room that she's omitted. And eventually she goes to enter it. Yeah. Despite the protest from the doctor. Yeah, the doctor's warning her very strongly not to do that. So when she enters, she says, oh, there's something in here. Yeah. The doctor thinks, oh, it must be the sonic screwdriver because he's handcuffed to the radiator. Yeah, he tried to... uh, Undo the cuffs, but he said his sonic must have rolled under the door. Yeah. To which um, she replies, Yeah, it probably just rolled under the door and leapt up onto the table. <laughs> yeah. So it's an empty room, table in the middle of it, sonic screwdriver on the top covered in like slime. Yeah. General alien slime. Yeah. And then the next part of my notes, I've just said, There's a big fish snake. There surely is, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I quite like the way it's done. Where it sort of like it comes down from behind and like is directly behind Amy's head. So like when she turns one way and the other, it just sort of keeps in sync with her. So it's constantly behind her yeah. head um, until that last second when she catches it out of the corner of her eye again. At which point, much screaming. Yes, and she leaves the room. Yeah. Now, the next little bit that I didn't like is this revelation. That Amy, the policewoman, is not actually a policewoman. The, so, do- yeah. the doctor says, "Well, why are you wearing a police officer's uniform?" And it turns out she's a kissogram. Yeah. And I just thought her occupation isn't going to be really that important 
in the grand scheme of things. No. So why why do we need to give her a funny job? Well, um, so, I mean, I know, so I know, we've the, the whole policeman. I know, but roots. you could have done this whole thing and just said, "Ah, oh, found the place." Yeah, but then the police would actually have turned up, and it would have been a different story. Well, not if she was pretending on a mobile phone, because that's no, essentially what she's doing. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. It's it is basically just a, a, an excuse for a few gags, but yeah, but again, no harm done as far as I'm concerned. It's just another one where I'm just like, bit immature. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, yeah. it would be quite interesting to have a companion who is an actual police officer. That would be quite interesting. Has that ever happened? Maybe. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for helping me out. <laughs> so. It's funny how in in a show about a spaceman fighting a fish snake, I think things are a little bit immature. Yeah, indeed. Uh, <laughs> so the fish snake is now an old man with a dog. Yes. So let's just talk about Patient Zero. Yeah. So that is the fish snake. Yeah. And his, um, I say his, its ability is to overtake the mind of something which is feeble-minded or yes. weak-minded yeah. to assume its form. Yes. Uh, well, uh, not necessarily its form, but a form that it can conjure from its mind. Yes. So, so he's using the coma patients and we've... I think we've already established one of them is this sort of like bloke in his late 40s, maybe. Yes. And like you even see a, a, a framed photo of his dog on his bedside, uh, his bedside table. Hospital. So, so the the theory is basically he's probably dreaming about his dog in his coma. So that's why when it takes the form of the man, it also takes the form of its dog at the same time. Yes, yeah. So we get the voice from earlier, the one that came through the crack. Prisoner Zero has escaped. There we go. Uh, and it threatens to incinerate the house. I think it says something like, "Terrestrial domain will be." Incinerated. Yes, yeah. Or at least we assume that it's the house it's referring to there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll come to that, don't worry. Yes. So, the Doctor, when he goes into the garden, leaving the house, mm. he's like, oh, there's the shed. I, I destroyed that last time I was here. Yeah. He's like, oh, they've built a new one. And it's got, like, 12 years' <laughs> worth of moss growing on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, it's you at this point, he realises... It's actually been 12 years. Yes. So not the five minutes, not the (laughs) few hours. Not the six months. Not the six months. It's been 12 years. (laughs) And the woman is Amelia. She is Amy, she's known as now. Yeah. And the message, the voice about the destruction of the terrestrial domain is being sent across town. So it comes through an ice cream van. Yes. Do you recognise the guy in the ice cream van? I I know I've seen him in stuff, but so he he's from. This is niche. There was a British before the office. Yeah, there was a British mockumentary called Operation Good Guys. All right, yes, which was about the London police force. Yeah, and he played the character of Bones, right? Who was the undercover drugs runner. Uh And one of my all-time favorite jokes is when they, I think they fail in one of their drug busts. Uh-huh. So as punishment, they're made to stand on a courtyard at attention whilst they're basically berated by the chief of police. Uh-huh. And 
all the only one that survives is Bones, and it's because it's revealed behind his back he has a jam jar full of milk, and whilst everyone's been struggling, he's just been churning it to make his own butter. <laughs> it's it's absolutely brilliant. It's so underrated. Yeah. Operation Good Guys is as good as any British comedy. It's been on my to-do list for a really long time. I really just—it's probably all on YouTube because it's like that. that yeah, obscure that... I, I definitely watched it a year or two ago, all on Daily Motion. Yeah, I just need to get on it. And yeah, do that. It, it's yeah. the first series is a little bit hit and miss. Second. I think there's only two series. There might yeah. be three. Um, yeah, the first series... There is, sorry, there is three. The first series, a little bit hit and miss. After that, absolute gold. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Excellent. So, yeah, so he's in his ice cream van, and they say, what's that message? And he goes, oh, it was meant to be Fleur de Lou. <laughs> <laughs> and people's phones, radios, everything yeah. is all going off. And I'm certain at this point, I don't think I noted it because I didn't think it was that consequential a scene. Mm. But I think they go into like an old lady's house who's friends with Amy. Yeah, and I forget the name of the actress, but it's the lady who plays Victor Meldrew's wife. Yeah, Margaret from One Foot in the Grave. So we've had both of those. Yeah. Um, And there's... Is it her grandson or her nephew? Her grandson. Who I knew I'd seen from somewhere. And it took me... I had to Google it. So he's a guy called Thomas Hopper. Right. Who played Dickon Tarly. Oh in my god! Game of Thrones. So he did. But I recognised him from The Umbrella Academy. He's in the oh, Netflix right. show. I've not watched that yet. Uh, he, I think he's part of. He's the leader of the superhero team. Goes on a mission. Gets really badly beaten up. So they put his head on the body of a gorilla. Right. And yes. then he lives on the moon. Yes. I know the character. I, I have read the first volume yeah. of Umbrella Academy. But, so uh, I can't remember his name, but as soon as I saw him, I was like, I definitely recognised yeah, him. Yeah. And I was certain I'd seen him in something. So I had to... He must have been in stuff in between as well, because like... Yeah, I can't remember. There's a gap between that and Dick Ontari. He definitely... I can't remember what else it said. He'd yeah. been in some like period right. thriller yeah. type thing. But anyway, yeah, he's playing Jeff, the, yeah. the lady's grandson. The pervert. Yeah, as we but later discuss. We'll come to that. <laughs> so, yeah, and when they look on the TV, we've got the big eye, the same message. Every channel. Yeah. And the doctor at this point begins to compute everything that's going on. Yeah. So he's trying to work out how far away things are, how long until people recognise who patient zero is. And he comes to the conclusion he has 20 minutes to save the world. Yeah. Now. I don't think the rest of the episode's in real time. No. But for 20 minutes, there's a lot of standing about talking, isn't there? <laughs> it, I don't know. know. He tries to sort things out as quickly as he can. Mm. So, Amy... I feel it has a frenetic energy to it. Yes, it's talky, but, like, in a very, like, business-like fashion. You feel like they're up against it. At least I do. I mean... I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but there's a bit where Amy traps the Doctor yes. to make him explain everything that's going on. Yeah. If it was that dire a situation, do you think the Doctor would ever just punch someone to get out of it? That's a good question. You know, because he could overpower Amy. 
And yeah. ultimately, in that scenario where he's... So she puts his tie in a car door. Yeah. Could just take his tie off and run off. He, she locks the car. I know, but he could still just oh, oh, undo yeah, the undo tie. Undo the tie. Uh, maybe not. I mean, if she's managed to get both ends. I know, but... I just thought, if it's that dire, why doesn't he just put a nut on Amy and he's, leg it? He's... The Doctor has always been... Like, talking his way out of situations is his first... I, by the way, I'm not advocating Actually. headbutting women. No, no. But... I, 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 know, I get the point you're making. But, I, yeah, all I would say is just, like, I don't know whether the thought would even occur to him at this point. Mm. After hundreds of years of basically just always being able to talk his way out of situations. Why do anything else if that's always mm. worked for you? So, as they leave Amy's friends slash family's house, the giant eyes are now in the sky. Yeah. And... Here's a weird bit that I sort of forgot about, but let's just discuss this. Okay, yeah. Doctor Vision, where the Doctor yes. just goes, what have I just seen? Yes. And the whole thing... It goes all sort of like... like um, it's Okay, so to describe it, it's like the, the camera is sort of ticking along in slightly speeded up footage fashion, and it's like it's sort of following different people's eye lines and because because he's like observed all of these people basically the, the sky is going, going crazy and everyone is like filming it and taking photos on their phones because you know this is what passes for social commentary in 2010 <laughs> um, and yeah so it's kind of like zipping around from person to person whooshing around uh, like different areas and stuff and eventually focuses in on Rory mm-hmm. and the person that he is taking a photo of because everyone else is taking photos of the sky and he's taking photos of the man with the dog mm-hmm. um, but yes it is a weird moment like it's a very ostentatious editing choice and we've never seen that before never seen that before um, I think it was an attempt by the production team to be like hey let's do something different because why not? Um, whether or not you think it's successful? Hard no, to say. It felt, I don't know if I would. It, I think it's easy to look back on something like that and be like, oh, that seems a bit gimmicky. But we have had 10 years of quite gimmicky TV, mm. if you think about it. And it's both worth bearing in mind, Stephen Moffat, co-creator of Sherlock, in addition to this, which uses this kind of nonsense all the time, mm. this predates Sherlock. This is all that is almost a dry run moment of, of, of the sort of thing he will go on to do an awful lot of in Sherlock. So uh, I think it's interesting from a TV history standpoint in that respect. With hindsight, I don't know whether it necessarily elevates the episode particularly, mm. but you know, people have always used Doctor Who as a sandpit in which to experiment with different types of storytelling. So. I don't begrudge them trying something different in that moment. Right. So, as the Doctor makes this discovery, it's at this point, Amy traps his tie in a car. Yeah, we get Uh, that moment. To be honest, I like that moment just for the bewildered old man who owns the car. Mm. (laughs) I I love that everybody knows Amy in this village. Because she's obviously just such a forceful personality and has had quite an interesting upbringing. Um... And so the fact that she just traps this stranger in his car door, 
takes his keys, locks the door, and he just sort of very meekly says, I, I will need my car back later, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> and she just says, just go and have coffee. So, yeah. The doctor gets to convince Amy that he really is the doctor, yeah. and he is everything he's ever said he is. Yes. And they go to speak to Rory, who is Amy's kind of boyfriend. He says, oh, I'm her boyfriend. Yeah, and very go- definitely. And she goes, mm, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Bit awkward. Yeah. And I, the conversation goes on for ages, but I've just written, they work out the people in the coma bit. Yeah. So they've worked out they need to get to the hospital. Yeah. So the sonic screwdriver then makes everything go mad. The doctor wants to bring attention to everything. Yes, he's trying to get the Atraxi to, to, to focus in on... Uh, the village of Ledworth, which yeah. is where Prisoner Zero is. So that burns out the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. And Prisoner Zero just flushes himself down the drain. Yeah. Because he, he can take on, like, uh, the form of dust, like, ghost-like. I think when he's going, like, between forms. Yeah. He can do that. Yeah. Um. So it reappears in the hospital. Yeah. And the doctor decides... He needs to get Jeff's laptop. Jeff had previously yeah. been seen holding well, a large yeah. laptop. And yeah, he, I love the fact that had had that man not had the misfortune to walk into that house with a laptop bag at that particular moment, none of the, the, yeah. the rest of this Earth would have happened would be to doomed. him. It's just, the Doctor just, uh, that's the first computer that he's seen. And therefore he's like, okay, well I know there's one there. And yeah. that's where we're going to go. But do you think his knowledge of computers comes from those Tom Baker adverts we watched where, <laughs> where he's doing yeah. like adverts for computers? Yes, yeah, so for context's sake, after the, the uh, thing which we haven't discussed yet but we'll discuss at the end of the episode, I then linked Matt to uh, a great series of... I say great. Um, it, it's uh, as, as a sort of time capsule bit of Doctor Who ephemera, there's a series of adverts with Tom Baker and Lala Ward, who plays the second incarnation of Romana, um, advertising some defunct computer. And, and they're like, it's proper like computers with cabinets the size yeah. of fridges. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, from there, yes, the Doctor video calls NASA. Um, oh, it's not just well, okay. So it's not just NASA. It's Jodrell Bank. It's um, all of these different sort of space agencies around the world. He's like, they're going to be having a conference call. Patrick Moore's in it, obviously. Yeah, because you know, a popular science TV presenter would, of course, be in the <laughs> yeah. same. The league. games master would be there. <laughs> but you know, it's a fun cameo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially because he's like flirtatious with Jeff's. Is it his nan or it's his... his granite, uh, right. I think, yeah. Yeah, so he's like, oh, who, who's the babe? <laughs> yeah. And it's just like this old woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the Doctor tasks Jeff, yeah. who he has no knowledge of, yeah. <laughs> with running this global task force. Well, kind of. Okay, so what the Doctor does is he, first of all... Um, Sends them a few examples of his 
uh, incredible genius. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things like Fermat's undiscovered theorem and, and things like that. Uh, and he does this all, it's, uh, the dialogue is absolutely breakneck. And mm-hmm. all credit to Matt Smith's performance here again. The way he's just rattling off this insane dialogue at a rate of knots is really impressive, I think. Um, and uh, so he says, look, first of all, I'm a genius. Pay attention to what I'm going to do. Uh, and then he writes a virus. That's all he says. He just, I'm, I'm going to write this virus. I'm going to write it on this phone. I'm going to send it all to you now. That needs to just be everywhere. A, mo- a moment which really dates this episode. He says it needs to be on everything. And then starts listing Facebook, MySpace, Bebo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did you ever have a Bebo? No. Ever did have a not, MySpace? I did have a MySpace, yeah. I never had a MySpace. Did you not? You weren't no. missing out. No, I remember a guy I lived with at uni did. Yeah. And he was like, oh, check out my MySpace. And it was like a picture of him. It played like some Tupac rap. <laughs> and yeah. then it had like a wall where you could scribble graffiti on. Uh-huh. It was all in time, not Times New Roman. Uh, Comic Sans? Yeah. Oh my God. And I just thought, I want no part of this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, MySpace was a weird one. The only thing... I, I had a MySpace account, but mostly just for bands. Do you know what? I, I funnily enough, bands on it. I visited MySpace today. Yeah. Because uh, I was doing some work, playing a bit of music via YouTube. One of the bands I was listening to, Senses Failed, it just had a link to their MySpace. And I <laughs> thought, I wonder if that is still going. <laughs> so I clicked on it, because I yeah. think at some point... Justin Timberlake bought MySpace right, to okay, make it yeah. like a music platform right. and move it away from like a social media. Yeah. And when I visited their MySpace, it was like, new album coming autumn 2013. Oh, I wow. I just thought, well... You know, that's, that's late for MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> it it seemed to like burn so brightly and then just yeah. die overnight. Makes you wonder, like, which will be the next one? Twitter or Facebook? Like, one of them. Sooner or later, will just come crumbling down. I don't know because I would say I use Facebook least. Yeah, I I use it simply to contact people. So, like for example, our Dungeons and Dragons group runs primarily on there. Yes, yeah. But the group function is is pretty much all I use it for. Yeah, but I get most of my news via Twitter. I can search pretty much anything I want, yeah. and someone will put it up there, and. I don't know. I, I sometimes use Instagram, mainly for pictures yeah. of cakes I've baked. You see, I don't use Twitter or Instagram at all, and I don't really post anything on Facebook. Mm. Like, very occasionally at this point, I'll share an article. But frankly, I, I, there was a t- there was a, a time when I did use Facebook a lot more. But there was this I don't know. There was this some kind of weird shift where it just became. Mostly adverts and posts from people I don't know and things I don't want to see. Mm. And I don't know what happened, but it, it basically just broke Facebook for me at that point. I never read what's in my feed anymore. And uh, i tell you what, since I got married, I had to add a lot of people on Facebook. Just, <laughs> oh no, and did it just pollute the waters too yeah, much? Yeah, like, I just want to delete so many of them. <laughs> but I don't want to make life difficult for my wife you can't unfollow them you know i know but, but that's, that's that's a lot of effort to get to go to yeah it? i don't know yeah no i mean facebook's ruined like, me, outside my immediate family and a select few friends i don't really care yeah i'm kind of at that point as well 
Anyway, so two grumpy old men talking about Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Now back to talking about Doctor Who. Okay, so the Doctor releases this virus. It's going to reset all the counters in the world to zero. Yeah. At that point, I didn't make a link between that and the fact we've been hunting patient zero for yeah. an hour. I, I just so thought, well, why zero, is he doing yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Not patient zero. Yeah. Um, so, Amy and Rory have gone to see the patients. They bump into uh, Prisoner Zero, yeah. who has taken on the form of Olivia Coleman now, yes. yeah. with two girls. Yes, her um, daughters, presumably. We haven't really mentioned this, but earlier, when Prisoner Zero took on the form of the guy and the dog, yeah. quite often the dog would bark, but it would come out the guy's mouth, then yeah, the guy yeah. would speak, it would come out the dog's mouth. So it's able to take on the form of multiple organisms. Yeah. But because it's just one and it doesn't know them well enough, it was unable to discern which yeah, was the well, dog, which yeah. was the man, if that makes sense. Yeah, it finds, it finds picking a mouth tricky. Yeah, so here, Olivia Coleman begins speaking, but it's through the mouth of one of the children, uh-huh. and the child starts speaking through her. Yeah. So that's how Amy and Rory work out this isn't just mm-hmm. one of the normal patients. Yeah. And. The Doctor is bombing it round in a fire engine. <laughs> yeah, why not? So he rings Amy and says, oh, which window? She says, you know, second floor. I think it's fall from the left. Yeah. And he just kamikazes <laughs> the ladder yeah. from the top of the fire engine through the, through window, the window, climbs himself up. Yeah. And the virus, as we've said, sets everything to zero. So yes. that is sending out the message that Prisoner Zero is here. Yeah. And the source of that virus is Rory's phone. Yes. So everything knows that is where Prisoner Zero is, including the giant eyeballs in the sky. Yeah. So Prisoner Zero then explains, you know, I I only make these mistakes copying people because I've only had a few months to witness them. What if I've had 12 years? So it takes on, well, we assume it's going to take on the form of Amy. Yeah. But having been in her mind so much, it takes on the form of the Doctor. Yes. Clearly she's thought about her interaction earlier in life. Yes. Well, we haven't really mentioned much yet. That dotted throughout this episode, when other people, like when the Jeff's gran uh, sees the Doctor, she says, oh, it's him, isn't it? To Amy. Uh, and then when uh, he Rory first meets the Doctor, he again is just like, huh? How is how can he be real? Like he was, mm. and eventually he was like a game that they used to Doesn't play together. Amy say that she's had three therapists, four psychiatrists. That's right. Yeah, because she kept biting them because yeah. they would. They said he wasn't real. So basically, that strange night with Amelia Pond has left quite an impact. Yeah. on Amy's mind. So yeah. the doctor then makes Amy like psychically confront Prisoner Zero, and. Prisoner Zero says, silence will fall. And we'd heard that earlier through the crack, I believe. yeah. And it's caused by the Pandoxy? The Pandorica. The The Pandorica Pandorica will open and silence will fall. Yeah, so I'm guessing that's this series is Bad Wolf. We're going to get that all the way through, aren't we? He will knock four times. Yeah, here we go. Brace yourself. It sounds fairly prophetic, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Another one of these. Yeah. Another one. Another one. Yeah. Whole new writer. <laughs> How long is he in charge? Moffat. A uh, fair while. How many series? Um, let's think. Uh, six. Six series? Six series. Fucking hell. Hold on. <laughs> let, let me just do some maths. Yeah. Six series. Six series. How many episodes per series? Roughly 12? Uh, Usually somewhere between 12 and 14 if you count. Right. Let's go 12. Yeah. (laughs) 72 episodes. Yeah. We do two episodes a week, roughly. No, we do two a fortnight, don't we? Yeah, yeah. It's going to take us a while. We could be working this out in over a year. (laughs) Potentially. We better resolve this by Christmas. <laughs> I'm making no promises. I am. <laughs> and they're not pleasant. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So we get yep. our prophecy. So, the Doctor manages to sort this whole mess out. Prisoner Zero is taken away. Mm-hmm. However, after a while, the Doctor just goes, hang on a minute. You can't just threaten to blow Earth up. Because when they're talking about destroying the, the terrestrial, terrestrial domain, yeah. they actually mean Earth, yes. not just the house. Of course. So he says, well, this is." does he say it's a level five planet? Yes. The Shadow Proclamation Probably. won't yeah. allow this. Yeah. So he calls them up on the telephone. <laughs> yeah. He says, just come back a minute. Just a couple of things I, I, want, I, I just love, want to discuss. I love Rory's line here. He just says, he's just completely baffled. And he's just like, did, did he just save the world from aliens and then bring the aliens <laughs> back, back again. <laughs> so uh so he's he summoned them back yeah and decided um uh, so the 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 uh, Amy's nickname for the doctor the, the sort of imaginary friend version of it was the raggedy doctor because of yes. course when she met him he was in in tatters from the regeneration. Um and so the Doctor says at this point, to hell with the raggedy, time to put on a show. Yeah. Anson just starts ransacking the uh, hospital lockers. Changing rooms, yeah. yeah. Um, not the first time he's stolen his outfit from a hospital. Really? Yeah. Pertwee. Really? Pertwee did that as well, yeah. In his first episode. What, what do you think of Matt Smith's lock? I really like it. Yeah, I do. I think yeah. it... it... It's a more natural transition from Tennant than we got from Eccleston in his leather jacket to Tennant dressed quite nice and smart. Yes. And I feel Tennant and Smith, I mean, we talked about it when we looked at Classic Who, theirs isn't a million miles away from Tom Baker's outfit. Mm. You know, particularly Tennant in his long coat. Yes. You know, but the fact that they dress... Almost like academically. Yeah, so what I would say is with Tennant's costume, it's very cool. Like it's 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 uh smart but in a yeah, quite well, a sleek, casual, quirky but it's, way. It's a suit with converse. Yeah, yeah. So um but it feels very kind of like studied and hey, look how cool I am. The sense I get with Matt Smith's doctor is He's trying to dress cool like that, but goes a little too far. Mm. And so we end up with the bow tie and the tweed and the braces. And it's like, it's like, yeah, this is cool, right? And it's just like... Mm. 
Because I mean, there's, the, there's that moment where he does save the yeah. world and he goes, who the man? And he goes, no one responds. He goes, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, yeah. So you get the feeling that this Doctor is maybe a little less socially aware mm. than, uh, than Tennant was. Um... But anyway, yeah. So there you go. He's got he's got his new togs on. He he's, hasn't quite settled on the bow tie. He's like flipping through different t- ties. Yeah. Whilst the Atraxia turning up before settling on the the bow tie. <laughs> so he meets them up on the roof. Yes. And long story short, gives them a bit of a telling off. Uh huh. But also a warning. Yeah. So he's going through a few questions to yeah. them, and the last one he says is. Is this planet protected? Yeah. And as they flick through, it's almost like a history. It's a little bit like what the Cybermen had in the yeah. New Doctor. Yes. Like it. And they see the various threats the Earth has faced. Uh-huh. And in each of them, they see the Doctor. Yes. They see the classic Doctor yeah. stood facing evil. Yeah. And as it cuts to Tennant, it's like a hologram. Yeah. Matt Smith walks through as if to say, I'm here now, motherfucker. Yeah, that is you got to. I I enjoyed that bit. I enjoyed that bit. Yeah, because if it's it can be hard the transition from one Mm. doctor to the next, and and the the show is acknowledging that though. It's just saying like, hey, look, I know we all know how much you love Tennant, but this is the new guy. Get used to it, Mm. and we're not going to be apologetic about that. And he he ends this big speech. Yeah, finally. Just simply by looking it dead yeah. in its big giant eye, and he just goes, "Run!" Yeah, taking us right back to the first episode. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, brilliant. Yeah. Like that Good bit. Stuff. So the Doctor then runs back to the TARDIS. Earlier on, as part of his regenesis, the TARDIS didn't really recognise him. He was unable to get into it when he yeah. tried. Yeah, here he opens it, runs in. Yeah. And says, I'll just be two minutes. <laughs> yeah. He reappears <laughs> back at the house. Invites Amy to come yeah. travel with him. Yeah. It's been a further two years. <laughs> yeah. So it's now 14 years. <laughs> and, I love, and I love the way he goes, just like, he just sort of goes, oh. Like, <laughs> like, so it's been 14 years. Mm. 14 years since that do, first night. Do we ever get an acknowledgement in what happened in the two years between them. I don't necessarily want to say too much. Okay. Um, okay. So, they go inside. New TARDIS design. Yeah. Looks a bit more sleek. A little less ramshackle. Well, in some ways, yes. In some ways, it looks less organic. Yes. Um, I would say it looks a bit like some, it's been cobbled together from the contents of Antiques Shop. Mm-hmm. I, I, there is a lot of like retro technology in there. There's like a typewriter on the console. There's an oscilloscope. There's like an old-fashioned like wooden cabinet TV kind of thing for the screen. Um, I think it's a really nice design. I don't know mm-hmm. how you feel about it as a TARDIS interior. I, I mean, I never really thought about it. You know, whether I liked or disliked the interior of the TARDIS, but... I think with such big changes, yeah, 
you know, it's quite nice to have an entirely new setting. Absolutely, and it feels... It's nice to give the Doctor a an interior that feels appropriate to that Doctor. Mm. And this, as we go on, I think you'll, you'll feel more and more like, yeah, they got it right in giving Smith this particular interior. Did it, it didn't change between Eccleston and Tennant. No, it didn't, and I think it's... In, I understand why, because frankly, they were expecting Eccleston to stay longer than he did, and mm. and, um, and also in the classic series, it was quite rare that they they didn't just like every Doctor got a new TARDIS. That wasn't how it worked back then. It has moved a bit more towards that in more recent times. Um, so, in some ways, I feel it's a bit of a shame that Tennant never really got. He just inherited a TARDIS. So he never really got one. But then again, I couldn't imagine him. In any other yeah setting, so. But so, anyway, yeah, I really like this. Interior. So he gets his new TARDIS. He yeah. gets a new sonic screwdriver. Yeah, because they've got to sell the toys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As nice as it would be to maybe have a series without a, t- a sonic screwdriver. Um, yeah, you've got to yeah. shift their merch. Yeah. Uh, so, Amy agrees to travel with him, and the closing shot is Amy's bedroom. Yes. So panning shot and we see all the childish drawings and models and dolls she'd made of the Doctor. Yeah. And the final bit that we see is a wedding dress hanging. Yes, because she um, she's, uh, we should say he, she was umming and ahhing about whether or not she was going to actually come with the Doctor and he said it's a time machine, I can get you back for yesterday. And yeah. when she says can he get me back for tomorrow? So obviously tomorrow is important to her mm. we can now assume what tomorrow is. Yeah, and I, I suppose I've never really thought about it until now, but my understanding was yeah. if we go back halfway through, when Rory says, oh, I'm a boyfriend, and she goes, oh, kind of, Yeah, I thought that was like, oh, kind of, he's my fiancé, actually. But actually, we've had that two-year jump, haven't we? Yeah. So yeah. things have moved. Yeah. We can assume that the, that relationship has regressed. Hmm. But yeah, that was a good episode, I would say. Yeah. Quite enjoyed that. Um, so, how, how do you feel about Amy Ponders as our new companion? Uh, we haven't seen a lot from her yet. And she se- I mean, so far, what can we say about her? Uh, she seems spunky. She seems like a toned-down Donna. Yeah, that's maybe not too far off the map. Without, like, a the crazy yeah. rage that Donna yeah. has. Yeah. She's definitely got a bit of pep, a bit of fire in her. Yeah, yeah. But not to the extent where she's just flying off the handle going crazy. No. And I do think as well we have now set up in this episode a very unique relationship with the Doctor. Mm. She is basically suddenly living out her childhood fantasies mm. for real with a man who 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 does exist but for most of her child was was essentially an imaginary friend do you, do you know what i thought mm. would have happened here yeah would it have been the case and this is literally me just pulling theories out my ass okay now go for it but i thought at the end it could just have been this episode could have been written for sally sparrow because yeah. she has that interaction that running with the Doctor. Yeah. And then, you know, you could have taken Amy out and just gone, oh yeah, a few years later, he bumps into her again. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It, think... I think this episode does have a little bit of blink in it. Oh, definitely. You can tell it's written by the same writer. Mm. For sure. Um, but yeah, um, 
So overall, I think I, I think it's it's a great introduction for Matt Smith. Like he really, performance-wise, he hits the ground running. There's, I would say, there's only one. Sorry, going yeah. back to Amy, there's only yeah. one thing I don't want. Oh yeah, what's that? She better not be like the fucking chosen one, like every <laughs> other companion we've seen so far, apart from Martha because she was boring. <laughs> but like, she better not be. When we go back to oh, silence will fall. If they just go, oh, Amy. You were the silence all along. <laughs> I don't want that. Okay, well, no, we'll see. You. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... I, and I think Karen Gillan is, does a good performance for him mm. as well. Like, I I feel those two central performances, they, they both hit the ground running. You feel like they're already really inhabiting those characters. Yeah. And I think that's probably helped by the fact, interesting bit of trivia, they shot this episode, I think, fourth? Oh, really? Um, so they'd actually already done three episodes prior because they were so keen to make sure that it felt that like a really a strong... Like they already had that rapport and, and uh, yeah. So it, I, it's, it, it does the job. Like, mm. as we say, Prisoner Zero as a villain, bit disappointing. I think the concept is good, but it, he never feels like a real threat. You never see him. He just stands there. He, he ain't there and coming talks. back anytime soon, is he? He's one of those. In a few months' time, <laughs> when we're like, oh, you know, when the Doctor first met Amy, we're not going to be going. Oh yeah, when when Prisoner Zero was there. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't instantly forgettable. Yeah. I'm putting him up there with the things from Planet of the Dead. Those yeah. metal fish things. <laughs> yeah, just like ghost fish. Yeah, it's just there to serve a purpose, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, also, and I think, do think it's a missed opportunity because shape-shifting character and, like the, and, and the fact that it's a fugitive I'd love to know what did Prisoner Zero do well, I was, I was literally just about to ask you that yeah, why was know. he in prison we don't know I mean I video piracy he kills he kills the doctor uh, the, the doctor that was looking after the coma patients but we see that that happens completely off screen mm. we never get a sense the most threatening thing he well, does is does like he? open because his mouth and like you see fish fangs does he kill her because I thought, I thought when it was implied, I thought when they entered the hospital and yeah. they bump into Olivia Coleman, they were going to bump into that doctor. Yeah. Because as soon as they saw it was Olivia Coleman, yeah. it was like, oh great, coma patient. Yeah. We know what this means. Yeah. Whereas if it was the doctor, it would have been, you know, they didn't know that she'd been possessed. Yeah. So that would have been more interesting potentially. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I think if if the threat had been more real, if we'd known why. Prisoner Zero, like what crimes it had committed, and therefore what that character was speeding. capable of doing. Petty, <laughs> petty theft, speeding, yeah. video piracy. Uh. <laughs> it's just a big fish nonce. Ah, oh, dear. It's a family show. That's, yeah, it's a family that's show. True. Um, but... <laughs> well, they talked about how <laughs> Jeff was having a wank. Uh, they did. Yeah, that did happen. And he needs to delete his yeah. browser history. This is not the last time that you will be reminded of the fact that Stephen Moffat wrote Coupling. Oh, really? Yeah, so he's he has a bit of a tendency to just go for the gag, whatever the gag really? is. Yeah. And that's often, that is great, because I think he is a very funny writer. But there are occasional moments where I just feel like, oh, you could have just cut that joke, mm-hmm. and it would have been a bit tighter for that. So that's it's one of my little niggles with Moffat, but but 
I don't mind the wanking joke with Jeff. It's fairly subtle. Yeah. And it gives him something to... I know. It's fun. Uh, it's such a fun episode. Yeah. Like, for all of our little niggles here and there, it's just such a fun episode. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you ever so much for listening. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yes. We need to discuss <laughs> the wider Doctor Who universe. Yeah. So, last night, I was just watching some crap on YouTube, and a link came up, and it said something like, John Pertwee, Doctor Who, industry promotion video. Uh-huh. And I thought, i quickly see what this is. And the first thing that came up was, some viewers may find this content offensive. <laughs> I thought, well, what's this about? So, intrigue got the best of me. I watched it. Short little advert where he is working for Zanussi. Yeah. The white goods dealer. And it's like an infomercial for their five-year warranty. I think it's specifically targeted at, like, retailers. Yes. Of yeah. So it's like, wasn't intended to be, like, shown on TV. It was for, like, an industry conference or something. Yes. Yeah. So the character of the Doctor says he's travelled time and space... And found the greatest warranty for your fridge freezer <laughs> or your dishwasher. Yeah. And it goes on for about four minutes. It's, yes. And I, I, I feel like I should also point out, they have, whoever wrote this, clearly not much of a Doctor Who fan. No. Because they've turned the Doctor into a wizard. Yes. Who has the ability to just conjure items with his hands. Yeah. Because... With like a whip. That's it, because a five-year warranty is now like a stone obelisk. And the best part, the bit that I immediately knew I had to share this with you, is at the end, because he refers to Zanussi as though it's like a place, a planet. Yes. And the lady he's talking to at the end just says, Before you go, one question. Yes? Where in the galaxy is Zanussi? And his response? Show us what it's and I'll tell you. Just an immediately cut to black. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, I, mean, I like, did not see that yeah, coming. Hats off to the editor. That's a sort of impeccable when, timing. When it says at the beginning that, you know, this obviously represents <laughs> standards of the time, I thought yeah. he was going to say some off-the-cuff comment about a woman's place being in the kitchen or some shite like that. Yeah, yeah. But what an ending. Oh, man. Pertwee's my favourite doctor now. <laughs> That's what it took. What an ending. <laughs> like. And I take it that that's canon for you as far as you're oh, concerned. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but at some point, when he'd finished with Unit, he went and worked. <laughs> worked for Zanussi. Yeah, worked at Comet selling <laughs> yeah. fridge freezers. But it was fantastic. Oh, man. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Well, link it in the show notes um, if you want to see it for yourself. I mean, we spoiled the ending, but... Uh, like, when I say it's fantastic, it does I, I don't really agree with it, but... No. But, but it, it... What a thing to have in my arsenal to talk to you about how <laughs> shite yeah. Doctor Who is. <laughs> to be fair, it's, it will not have been sanctioned. and We were discussing afterwards saying that, like, I'm pretty sure the BBC is a little tighter with their contracts for their yeah. new Doctors these days. I don't think you're going to get, like, Christopher Eccleston appearing in character as the Doctor on a, in a baked bean advert anytime soon mm. or uh, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, you can't blame Pertwee for cashing in, can you? No. It's so... Like, <laughs> it's so boring, but you have to... <laughs> 
the only instruction I gave you was watch till the end. Because yeah. I would have forgiven you for switching off. Yeah, but no, but, it does have to be seen to be believed, that, I think. Yeah. Um, so we'll link to that. We'll link to the Tom Baker computer adverts as well. Um, enjoy those. What, what else did we watch? I, I can't remember. Yeah. I went down a, a YouTube a rabbit hole, rabbit hole yeah. just watching really <laughs> weird Doctor Who stuff. Yeah. Uh, good times. Right, well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, and join us next week when we will be discussing The Beast Below. Mm. Until then, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.